It's my pleasure this morning to introduce our storytellers, plural, and we have two visiting missionaries with us this morning, Averill and Kathy Allen. Please come up and join me here now. Just a few words of introduction. Averill and Kathy have been in the ministry in the field since 1980, starting out in Guatemala, followed by Russia. Then they spent a period of time here with our congregation, departing in 2007 to serve in the field in uh, Thailand. Chiang Mai is where they are located there for the past 11 years. Averill works with an organization called Beyond, and his role is one of teaching other leaders to come forth to reach the indigenous people that have not had a chance to hear about Jesus Christ. Kathy has a position with Cornerstone Counseling, and she serves other missionaries in the field that are working through troubling, challenging, hurting times to try and mend them uh, in their lives. So with that, I'll turn it over to our storytellers, starting with Kathy. Thank, Thank you. you. Wow. Thanks, Pete. All right. It's really great to be here and to see all of you this morning. Because there are two of us, I'm just going to probably read most of what I'm going to say. Um, but if you have other questions, you can talk to us afterwards. So in July 2007, this church sent us to Chiang Mai, Thailand to serve and care for missionaries across Asia. Averill and I had done mission work, as Pete said, for 12 years in Latin America, four years in Russia, but neither of us had particularly been feeling like we were called to Asia. So you're, as you're going to hear in today's scripture reading, God sometimes asks us to do very unexpected things, but when he speaks to our minds and hearts, we listen and obey. So I'm a licensed mental health counselor, and I had been doing uh, member care for Covenant World Mission since 2000, and I would travel overseas and work with our Covenant uh, missionary teams in Asia. And during that time in 2004, uh, Dr. Tim Friesen, who was a Covenant missionary, began Cornerstone Counseling Foundation in Chiang Mai. This ministry serves mental health needs of missionaries all over Asia. And Cornerstone services are donation-based, and all of uh, the staff raise our own support. And so in this way, uh, individuals and, and families can get really great, professional, good quality care without having to go back to their passport countries. So in 2006, when I was in Thailand on one of my trips to take care of the Covenant team there in Thailand, Dr. Friesen spoke to me about prayerfully considering joining uh, the Cornerstone team. And at that time, we were very involved in this church. I had a private practice in Redmond. I was serving on the elder board here. April and I were teaching an adult class. He was in the choir. We had a very nice, comfortable life here. <laughs> and But I had said that I would pray about it. So we both prayed and fasted and consulted with many godly people. And over time, God confirmed that that's what we were supposed to do. 
So I now serve as the executive director of the Counseling Center. I also still do some counseling on the side. Um, right now I have 13 licensed mental health counselors, a full-time, um, well, now he's part-time psychiatrist, and I'm hiring a full-time psychiatrist. So God is really growing that ministry. In the past year, we've all, a couple of years, we've also been able to start serving the Thai community with counseling services, which is very new in Asia and Thailand. But uh, God has given us open doors to be able to um, serve some Thai pastors and other Thai Christians. And more and more, God is using our counseling center to also reach Thai Christians. Um, because of our commitment to confidentiality, I'm not able to really tell you a true story. So I'm going to just say that I'm honored to regularly experience miracles. Uh, what a privilege, almost on a daily basis, to see miracles happen. Uh, God heals broken hearts, broken marriages, transforms people out of disappointment and sorrow into joy and hope, um, heals people of eating disorders, sexual addiction, depression, anxiety. We just have, have been so honored to witness God transforming lives in our counseling offices. He's been gracious and merciful in some really unexpected ways in that ministry. So um, I've also grown personally and professionally, and a verse that I cling to was referred to today um, already, and that's Ephesians 2.10, that God already had this ministry planned for me long before I was even aware of it. For we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us a long time ago. Thanks, Kathy. I'm Averill, and I serve as Beyond's team development leader for the Mekong region of Southeast Asia. I train new teams to enter and thrive in countries and cultures God has called them to serve, to foster healthy teams, provide pastoral care, mentor workers and their families, and coordinate trainings as needed. I met Pouch and Yang in 2012 in their central Cambodian village, where they hosted a village fellowship in their home Pouch, blind and weak, lay on a rough platform in the shade of their stilt house to hear the Bible stories and discussions and prayers through gaps in the floor overhead. We climbed 10 feet up rickety steps and found the one-room house packed with 40 to 50 people, elderly widows, young women with a dozen infants and children, two or three men, all poor, many of them illiterate. Fervent worship and prayers, thoughts from scripture about being the family of God and what that could look like, a rustle of sound, gasps, and joyful expressions lit everyone's faces as we saw Pouch drag himself through the doorway, his first time up those steps in more than a year. T, the team leader, later filled in the backstory for me. She moved to the area about a decade ago, providing poor widows and children with basic nursing care, a nutritious meal each week, and telling stories from the Bible about God, his love, 
and Jesus' sacrifice to redeem them. T included Yang with the widows because Pouch was blind and appeared to be near to death. In time, widows began to follow Jesus and worship the one true God, also Pouch. But Yang determined, quote, I will never believe unless I read the book for myself and see that it's true. Most of the villagers couldn't read, so it was a surprise that Yang could. T gave her a Khmer Bible, the Cambodian language, and suggested she begin with the Gospels. Yang declared she would begin on page one in the beginning. As T would walk past Yang and Pouch's home over the next months, she would often hear Yang reading the Bible aloud, an hour or more at a time, so Pouch could hear the stories as well. T occasionally asked what Yang thought of the stories. She was skeptical, noncommittal. But months later, Yang approached T and excitedly announced, it's true, I believe. Asked what she believed, Yang replied that God loved her. Jesus is God and died for her sins, the gospel message. Well, why did you decide it's true? Because I found my story in the book. Right here, she replied, and she opened the Bible to the book of Ruth. I am Ruth, Huya is Naomi, Pouch is Boaz. Yang explained she had been earlier married to her sweetheart um, to start, and planned to start a family um, and move to his parents' home, a custom for the Khmer. But chaos soon engulfed Cambodia as the Khmer Rouge raped and ravaged their way, emptying every city and hamlet into the open countryside to eradicate history, educate, educated people, the old civilization, and create a peasant paradise. They brutally tortured and murdered a million and a half people, devastated the country, deeply scarred every community, family, and individual who survived. Yang's husband was one of those who was murdered. Widowed, their country destroyed, Yang and her mother-in-law, Huya, had only each other. In 1979, the Vietnamese and Cambodian freedom fighters invaded and drove the Khmer Rouge to the outer border of the country with Thailand, restoring a little order to people's lives. Huya decided Yang should remarry. She found a kind regional officer uh, with no surviving family and arranged for them to marry. In time, Yang and Pouch had four sons, but also uh, alcohol and indulgence available to his high rank led Pouch to develop diabetes, blindness, and kidney disease. It left them impoverished. So this was Yang when Jesus came to town through the kindness and stories of the one true God uh, that T and the team shared. Pouch and Yang were baptized and became key to the growth of God's family in their village and beyond. Three of their four sons, a nephew, other relatives and friends followed Jesus. I've had the joy of visiting them five times uh, since 2012. 
to encourage those gathered and to connect them with the larger body of Christ. I last visited in January for a joint celebration of village churches. It was harvest, so many people had to work in their fields. Nonetheless, about 60 people gathered from five villages, Yang among them. After worship, eight people professed their faith in Jesus to the gathering, received prayer, and prepared to be baptized. Two were the last of Yang and Pouch's sons and daughters-in-law to follow Jesus. They were one of five or six couples who dedicated their babies to the Lord that day. And we headed off then to the local river where I helped them consider ways God blesses those who identify publicly with Jesus in baptism. And I again enjoyed a short visit with Pouch. As I reflected, I was amazed to realize that in eight years, God's love has brought life to four generations of this family and through them impacted many, many more in their village and far beyond. Thank you for listening to our stories. This morning, our scripture reading is from the book of Acts. Please follow along in your Bible or use the screens. I'll be reading verses 9 to 20 from Acts chapter 10 in the New Living Translation. The next day, as Cornelius's messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up to the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure or unclean. But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Peter was very perplexed. What could the vision mean? Just then, the man sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. The word of the Lord. Good morning again. Well, this morning I want to introduce our guest speaker for today. As many of you know, our lead pastor is on sabbatical, and so each week we get soup du jour here, or sermon du jour. So we have Reverend Leslie Sanders with us today, and Leslie is a pastor at Kent Covenant Church, and he's going to tell you probably a little more about that, but I wanted to give you a little backstory. This morning is the first time I have ever 
met him. We've just been communicating through email, but um, I did hear that he lived across the hallway from my son at one point, and I did apologize for that. Um, so he does know something of the Steel Clan. His father is also a pastor, also Reverend Leslie Sanders, and he is a pastor at uh, Holt Presbyterian Church in Chicago. Leslie graduated from high school in uh, Northern Illinois and went to Northern Illinois University, later transferred to Chicago State University, where he graduated with a BA in um, Media Arts and Theater. So he's got a really good varied background. That's really cool. He is from the south side of Chicago. He had his first call to ministry at the age of 21 as youth pastor at Hope Presbyterian Church. When he was between colleges, he, because probably there was nothing else to do, joined the U.S. Army Reserve, serving as a Canon crew member and chaplain's assistant. He learned about the covenant denomination from a friend while attending Oakdale Covenant Church. In 2006, he went to North Park Seminary, finished his Master's of Divinity degree, and while at seminary, he served as church administrator at Oakdale Church. Since then, he's held many different pastoral positions I've read, and he was ordained in the covenant in 2016. And as I said before, he is the executive pastor at Kent Covenant. He's married to Brandy, has a stepdaughter, and a 12-week-old right now, Ryan Leslie. So come on up and share God's word with us. Thank you. I'll get this one. Good morning. It's an honor to be with you all this morning. Uh, I bring you greetings from Kent Covenant Church, where Keith Carpenter uh, is the senior pastor. He's been there for uh, almost 31 years now, um, so rich history in the denomination. Also very fond of your lead, Pastor Peter Sung. I spent some time with him um, early this year doing uh, pastoral coaching. So we've uh, since then had uh, many meals, many conversations, and um, actually plan on meeting later on this week for some pizza. So if you got any messages you want me to pass to him, let me know. Um, but yeah, I'm thankful to be here. I'm always excited to share the word of God with the people of God. Um, so when I got the invitation to come and speak with you all this morning, I was extremely excited to um, come and share. So thank you for having me. I want to uh, spend some time in Acts chapter 10 this morning. The scripture was already read, so thank you for that. And I want the kind of thought that shapes um, our time together is uh, this, or give the title uh, to the sermon. And I want that title to be The Power of Perception. The Power of Perception. It was probably 2009 in January, January where I spent uh, two weeks in Thailand. Um, the first week we were in Bangkok. Uh, it was a missionary journey through the seminary. Uh, the second week we were in Chiang Mai. Now, unfortunately, during the first week I had gotten sick. Uh, I'd eat, eaten something that I probably shouldn't have, and I was definitely ill, or at least I thought I was. I was probably being a little bit dramatic, right? Um, so the second week when we went to Chiang Mai, we were attending a conference, uh, the Southeast Asian Network of Missionaries Conference, um, and I was just wiped. I didn't have the energy to talk to anybody. I didn't really want to go to the conference. I spent a lot of time in the room, and I found a little internet uh, cafe right around the corner uh, from the hotel that we were staying at. And every day I would make my way to this internet cafe and I'd pay my money um, 
and then spent hours on the internet on Facebook because for the first time in my life, I was desperately, desperately homesick. Uh, on the day before we were uh, planning on going home, uh, the young man who was running the internet cafe said, hey, can I, can I ask you a question? I said, sure, why not? The question that he asked me was this. He said, why do all black people sell drugs and uh, participate in gangs? <laughs> and it was one of those moments where I had to choose how I was going to respond, right? Uh, at that moment, I'm like, do I look like a gang member? Do I look like I sell drugs? <laughs> you know, I was a seminary student. I was uh, in ministry at the time. But what I realized was this. I had an opportunity to maybe not necessarily get to the point of sharing the gospel, but I had the opportunity to maybe adjust this young man's perception of not only African-Americans, but Americans. Um, and so we began to enter in the dialogue, and I shared with him, well, most of my African-American friends are highly educated with good corporate jobs, and so I don't know a lot of drug dealers or gangbangers. Um, and we kind of laughed about it, and he kind of shared some things about um, his thoughts about Americans as well. But what I realized about this young man was that his perception of America and African-Americans came solely from watching TV. So he had seen all of these movies that were produced in the 90s and things like that, and that had shaped his perception. And even though our perception isn't always built in truth, our perception affects our reality. Our perception affects our reality. And by definition, a perception is a way of regarding or understanding or interpreting something. It's our impression. And even though the impressions that we have, the thoughts that we have, might not necessarily be based in truth. Just like the video said earlier, our perceptions of other people shape how we interact with other people. Here's what it means for the church, though. God is constantly moving. God's mission in our world has not stopped. The gospel message is still a message of love, of forgiveness, of peace, and of restoration that God wants all his people to hear. But things have changed a lot since I first gave my life to Jesus Christ. Things like cell phones, Facebook, the internet changes how we're able to communicate. And some of the things that we used to do to share the gospel message aren't as effective as they used to be. I remember a time where when we talked about evangelism, it was just us taking pamphlets out to the corner. And when people walked past, we would just say, do you know Jesus? If you don't, you're going to hell. And you know what? And that was somewhat effective. <laughs> but it's not as effective anymore. And so the reality for us is that we have to recognize how our perceptions affect how we share the gospel and who we share the gospel with. Because I believe that uh, there are a lot of people in places that we might not want to go who need to hear the message of the gospel. And if we don't allow our perceptions to be changed or challenged or shifted, we won't be as effective as we can be. And there are people who will suffer and not hear God's word because of it. The interesting thing about that I see in this text today is that I believe our brother Peter had the same thing. He 
was having to have his perception changed or adjusted in order to begin to take the message of the gospel to the Gentiles, whom for the most part had been seen as unclean. And so if we want to have a a transformational experience like Peter did in order to begin to make ourselves more effective, I think there are some things that we can take from the text and Peter's interaction with this vision uh, that can apply to us and to the church and allow us to be more effective. The first thing is this. If you look at verses 9 through 12, uh, it says this. It says, the next day as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Uh, He saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down on its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill, and eat them. The first thing that I want to point out is as Peter has gone up here uh, to pray, that everything that we do must be started and clothed in prayer. Too many times we make decisions without praying. And we talk about how important prayer is to the life of the church. But the reality of the fact is, I think unfortunately sometimes we make too many decisions without first seeking the Lord in prayer. But even when we do pray, pray, we have to remember that God may answer our prayers in unexpected ways. A lot of times we go to the Lord in prayer, but we kind of go to him already knowing what we want him to say. We already go to him knowing what we want the outcome to be. And a lot of times, and the word does say, take our supplications to the Lord. But I also think that an important part of prayer is to allow ourselves to listen and hear what it is that God wants to tell us. So if every time I pray, I'm saying, Lord, I need you to do this. Lord, please do that. Lord, here is what I want. What we are missing out on is the other part of the dialogue where God has something to say to us. Imagine how... Uh, ineffective our relationships would be if all we ever did was ask and talk and not take the time to listen. I'm sure my wife will probably let that be one of the complaints that she has about me because I do do a lot of talking and sometimes I have to remind myself, Leslie, wait a minute, she may have something to say, right? (laughs) Well, brothers and sisters, God has something to say to us. When we seek him in prayer, when we seek him for direction, God is wanting to speak to us. God is wanting to give us direction. And when he gives us that direction, we have to be willing and able to accept that some of the things that he calls us to may be unexpected, may be uncomfortable, may even challenge some of the things that we thought that we knew. But like Peter If we want to continue to be effective, if we want to continue to see the church uh, be powerful um, and make change in the world, we have to be willing to do some unexpected things in unexpected places and hear from a God who doesn't always answer the way that we expect him to. You know, and it's funny because a lot of times when God uh, asks us to do some certain things, you know, sometimes you just want to say, uh... Okay, I'll just pray again, and maybe next time your answer will be different, (laughs) right? But God is speaking to us. And so the first thing that Peter did, I think that we should take that same posture, is go to God in prayer. Because the reality of the fact is that many of us have perceptions about things uh, that we need God to challenge and change. 
The second thing you see is this. In verse 13 through 16, it reads as follows. He says, then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Peter's response, no, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spake again, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. One of the biggest challenges that we have, and it's just, it's so amazing how the Holy Spirit works. Uh, because between the video that was shown before the last worship song and then the story that you all shared, it's like, okay, you guys are preaching my sermon for me, right? I need to. <laughs> but, but one of the other things that I think begins to hamper our ability um, to, to, to serve the kingdom and allow our perceptions to be changed is that we have to also be receptive that sometimes when God calls us to things, it challenges our own self-image. A lot of times we don't often do self-reflection. But what was happening right now, when you see Peter uh, very uh, robustly telling God no, right? Who, how many of us have the audacity to tell God no? Right, so Peter, Peter, be who, being very audacious, is telling God, "No, never, Lord, no. There's no way. I've never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have said are unclean." One of the things that we have to recognize is that Peter, in this moment, was kind of wrapped up in his Jewish identity. His identity as a Jewish person was now kind of interfering with it, with what it was God was calling him to do. And I wonder how many of us can say the same thing. How many of us have realized that some of the things that God was calling us to do um, were hampered or we challenged because it didn't meet up with who we thought we were, who we thought we were going to be. And my story is similar to our brothers and sisters that shared the Allens that shared a little while ago. Because I grew up on the south side of Chicago uh, in a Presbyterian church. But it wasn't really a Presbyterian church, right? My dad had kind of grown, was grown up Baptist. He was this really charismatic style preacher, right? He did a lot of like the hooping and the, you know, the singing when he preached and all those type of cool things that I never really, you know, kind of took to. Uh, and Southside, all black. I went to a high school. My high school was all black. Most of my friends were black, right? I was surrounded by blackness, right? They're just like my identity was, you know, like I'm a black man, south side of Chicago, like, hey, go south side. And then I felt drawn uh, to this denomination that was growing and becoming increasingly multicultural but had Swedish roots, <laughs> right? <coughs> and then I ended up at a seminary on the north side of Chicago. And if you know anything about Chicago, you know how segregated Chicago is. So like, not only by race, but like by side, because it seemed like every part of Chicago had its own different little like identity. And so south side folks didn't hang out with north side folks, right? <laughs> West side folks didn't hang out with east side. It just wasn't really a thing. So I was called to this predominantly white seminary on the north side of town, on the town that I had never even gone to. Like I didn't support the Cubs. I didn't go up there to hang out. <laughs> Lord, what are you doing? And then in the midst of it all, beginning to feel this urge that God was calling me to intercultural ministry. 
And intercultural in a lot of places really means predominantly white. Let's be honest, right? So even at Kent, we're an intercultural church, but we're probably about 85% white. And so now I'm like, I'm like a missionary in the church. (laughs) And so as this has happened, I'm like, God, no, no. Because I grew up listening to Kirk Franklin and Aretha Franklin and, and Ty Tribbett and Fred Hammond and all of these folks, and I'm like, who in the world is Chris Tomlin? <laughs> what, what the heck is a heel song, right? Is it? <laughs> so all, all of these things were so foreign to who I was, and yet God was calling me to serve in these places, and because I love God, I felt like I needed to follow, but my first instinct wasn't to go head first. It was never, Lord, don't you want me back on the south side? But in the midst of it all, I followed. But what I realized was more than just what he was calling me to. He was calling me to, to, to challenge what my identity was. Because was my identity more rooted in my ethnicity as an African-American? Or was my identity really rooted in Jesus Christ? And if my identity is really rooted in Jesus Christ and as a follower of Christ, then that shapes everything else. What Peter was struggling with was defining whether or not his identity was more rooted in his Jewish heritage and the laws that were obsessed with cleanliness that told him that not only were things unclean and certain animals were unclean, but certain people were unclean. Was he gonna, gonna, gonna adhere to that or was he gonna draw close to a God that was sin and that was preparing Peter to take the gospel message into places that it hadn't been so that people who hadn't had exposure to the word of God could hear it and that the word of God could spread throughout the world in ways that it never had before. And so Peter first had to start with prayer, but then had to be able to be receptive to God challenging who he thought he was. So I want you to ask yourselves this question. How many of your own perceptions of yourself stand in the way with what it is that God is not only trying to do with you, but what God is trying to do with Evergreen Church and the mission that God has for this church and this community for such a time as this? Because sometimes, brothers and sisters, the challenge isn't the budget. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, the challenge isn't the fact that people want to hear the word or they don't want to hear the word. Sometimes the challenge is our own perception and our own barriers that keep us from being as effective as we possibly can. The next thing is this. Verse 18 through 20. It reads as follows. It says, Peter was very perplexed. What could the vision mean? Just then the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzled over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. Two different times in these couple verses, you see that Peter was perplexed that Peter didn't quite understand what the vision meant just yet, didn't really understand what it was that God was calling him to do. But God told him to move without hesitation. 
brothers and sisters, the reality for many of us is that we have to be receptive to responding to God when we really don't understand why. Part of the problem is we live in an age where there's so much information in front of us. We have access to so much, right, uh, that we can get all of our questions answered. You know, there was a time where if you wanted to go to a restaurant, you didn't really know what the menu was until you got there. You didn't really know what the reviews were until you got there. You just kind of said, like, hey, that looks like a cool restaurant. Let's go in. And you kind of just have an experience. But nowadays, there's things like Yelp, right? And there's Facebook and all these other things where you can, okay, let me, Windy City Pizza. All right, well, the pizza's not really that good. Or Jay, the door manager, is really cranky on Tuesdays, so only go Monday through Thursday, right? It's like all these different things that we have available in front of us. And the, and the inquisitive nature of human beings, like we have to ask questions. We have to know every single detail. We have to know everything down to the wire. And I think the downfall of that, it has taken some of the, the, the joy and the playfulness out of our relationship with God. So back in the day, when you think about how even, how even Abraham responded to God when he told him to go to a place that he would tell them as he went. He just told Abraham to get up and go, and Abraham went. Abraham didn't know where he was going, why he was going, or what was going to happen. He just got up and went. How many of us now have, have so much faith, and we trust God so much that when God says do something, we just get up and do it? I'm going to be honest. I don't even do it sometimes, right? I did it when I came to Kent. I had never heard of Kent before. I came, there's, there's a, a brother named Greg Yee. I believe he's a, he's a member here and a trusted friend. And he said, there's this church named Kent Covenant Church in Kent, Washington. And I'm like, where? <laughs> so not only had I not ever heard of the church, I hadn't even heard of the city. And he had to say, well, it's like 15 miles southeast of uh, Seattle. Okay, okay, I know Seattle. Why in the world, <laughs> right? But having the answers don't always predicate whether or not we should move. And sometimes the power in the action comes from us just trusting God. Because God has never left us or forsake us. God loves us. He, he strengthens us. He's there to support us. He's there to fill in the gaps. And so if we really trust God like we say we trust him, if we really love God like we say we love him, if we really are about the mission, when God begins to say move and we begin to feel the urge to do ministry in ways that we never thought that we would and do different type of things and work with different groups of people, we don't always need to know the outcome. We don't always need to know the why. Because ultimately the why is that we're introducing people to relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's about all that we need to know. And so we begin to follow him in faith. He begins to work as we move with him. But too many of us have a hard time even changing our perception of what we should be doing and what we can do because we want to ask a million questions before we move. We want to know the whole plan. We want to be able to understand every single detail. Or in the worst case scenario, sometimes we don't agree with what we are being asked to do. I just simply don't want to do it. We see here in this text that Peter 
experienced a huge transformation. The transformation that he experienced was, was, was the beginning of an opportunity to share the gospel in new ways. And I believe, myself included, there's a lot of us that have similarities with Peter, where God is trying to change how we see the world and how we see people. But not only that, if we begin to allow our perceptions to change where we see people the way that God created them and not the way that the world says that they are, maybe it will change the, our ability to do ministry to the people that we haven't been reaching. If, if I hadn't allowed God to do, and I'm going to be transparent, if I hadn't allowed God to do a, a, a mighty work in my life, I don't know if I could do ministry where I'm doing it, how I'm doing it. Because for me, I didn't have anything in common with people who didn't look like me. But what I found out through allowing Jesus to transform my heart and through taking faith step after faith step after faith step is that we have way more in common than we do differences. And that the spirit of God that dwells in all of us authentically makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. And so when I begin to see you the way that God created you and not the way the world tells me I should see you. I no longer see an enemy. I no longer see somebody as different. I no longer see somebody who doesn't understand me. I see a brother and sister in Christ. And so even if Chris Tomlin is at the top of your playlist and not Fred Hammond, there's still a bond that we share that is stronger than our iTunes playlist, stronger than the places that we grew up, stronger than the houses that we live in, stronger than our stories. My mom and dad were from the South, like the deep South. My mom is almost 75 years old. She was born in Barden, Arkansas, which is not too far from Little Rock. So she grew up in the time where people spit on her, where dogs chased her down the street, where people publicly called her the N-word. My dad is from Memphis, Tennessee. So it was a very regular trip for mine when I was a kid to go down to Memphis and see the Lorraine Motel and stand in the spot where Martin Luther King was assassinated. Imagine growing up in a household with two parents who grew up in the deep south who loved God but bared years and years and years and years of the burden of segregation and racism and anger and trying to navigate then how do I love Jesus, love all my brothers and sisters and still carry the weight of this experience? I needed God to do for me what he did for Peter and that was change my perception. And if God hadn't taken me on the journey that he took me on, uh, that started with finding a little TV show called Kids Incorporated on Nickelodeon where these kids would sing pop songs by Billy Joel and Madonna and introduce me to music that wasn't uh, necessarily connected to my story and upbringing, that gave me ways to connect with people that didn't look like me, gave me a deeper understanding of his word, Gave me relationships with people like Ben. 
who I consider a dear brother, and his roommate Brad and Paul and uh, Elise, that helped shape and change my perception of people who didn't look like me. I wouldn't be the person I'm standing here as today. There's a mission that God has for the church. That if we don't allow our perceptions and our mindsets to be changed, won't be as effective as it needs to be. Because our perceptions, perceptions that create reality, will always trump what it is that we know that God is calling us to. The last thing I'll say is this. The narrative right now in society is the church is dying. That people don't care about religion anymore. Nobody goes to church. And I don't really believe that. I believe that we are in a season in the church where God is calling us to stay true to his word, to taste true to the gospel message, but maybe look at how we present it or look at the package a little bit differently. A couple years ago, I went down to Mississippi and I got an opportunity to spend some time with John Perkins. And if any of you are familiar with like uh, CCDA, um, the Covenants, uh, Racial Reconciliation Trips, and COFA, uh, any of those kind of like social justice things, you know that John Perkins is like a heavyweight. He's like one of the godfathers of social justice. One of the things that was so powerful for me in that conversation that we had with him was he shared this story about how he was getting ready to go to New York um, because he, he was going to the Church of Bieber. The Church of Bieber. And we were kind of joking, like, what do you mean the Church of Bieber? Anybody here familiar with Justin Bieber, like the pop star? If you're not, Justin Bieber is like pop star. He's been around for probably 10, 12 years. Um, really good voice. He's made some decent music. But, you know, as he got older, he was kind of a punk kind of kid. He made some bad decisions, some bad dating decisions. I think he kind of messed around with drugs a little bit and kind of went through this whole, like, media fiasco where a lot of people were kind of on the fence. Like, oh, we don't, Justin Bieber's not really a great, great, great kid, right? He's probably 23 or 24 now. A couple years ago, uh, he had an experience uh, where he gave his life to Jesus Christ. Um, and it was what it seemed to be an extremely sincere experience. To the point where when he would do his concerts, now Majus is a young man who's like a heartthrob, so he's doing concerts to thousands and thousands and thousands of uh, young adults and teens. He's stopping and doing worship sets in the middle of his concerts wait a minute, Justin Bieber, the pop singer, is doing concerts in the middle of, a, I, mean, pop, I mean, worship sets in the middle of concerts? Wow. So a few years ago, he did this really cool thing. He had his pastor come out on stage after one of his worship sets, and he, they did an altar call. And in this concert, thousands of teens and young adults gave their life to Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, there were so many who gave their lives to Jesus that they had to start having a separate church service. So they ended up going to getting one in the hotels in New York, renting a room out, and they started doing church services on Thursday nights. So an unconventional altar call in a concert by an unconventional person led to thousands of people giving their lives to Jesus. 
and now a church is formed out of it. I'm going to be honest with you. If, if we had had to have a staff meeting before this happened to plan out whether or not we were going to be willing to do this, I probably would have been one of the first people to vote it down and give you all of the theological reasons why it probably wasn't appropriate to do it. I'd have been one of the first people to say, there's no way one of our staff pastors is going to walk out in the middle of a concert and do an altar call. But they did it. And look what happened as a result. Somehow somebody's perception was changed enough to try something different, try something radical, and the result was thousands and thousands of people coming to Jesus Christ. And the church is still going strong. The reality, brothers and sisters, is the gospel message has not changed. And the need for the gospel in our world has not changed. There are people who are dying who don't know the love of Jesus Christ. There are people who are hurting who don't know the love of Jesus Christ. There are people who are bearing guilt and bearing shame and don't know about the freedom that comes with giving their life to Jesus Christ. And sometimes what stands in the way is our inability to change our perception so that we can deliver the message in new ways and new places to people that we're uncomfortable with so they can have the same opportunity to respond to the gospel that we have. Brothers and sisters, my challenge for you today is will you allow your relationship with God and your trust in God to begin to shape and change your perception of the world around you so that we as a church can more collectively share the gospel in new ways. Look what it did for Peter. Imagine what it would do for our church if every single person in here was changed and transformed like Peter and all the churches in the neighborhood and Kent Covenant Church and our denomination. God is still moving. So the only question is, are we going to change our perceptions enough to allow him to use us in this movement? Join me in prayer. Gracious and heavenly Father, we say thank you for being with us today. You are such an awesome God, such a forgiving God and gracious God, that even when we make mistakes, you are there with us. And as we look at this, this small glimpse into the life of our brother Peter, we see that uh, you, 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 you challenge his perception of himself in a way that began to lead to life transforming change. So dear God, right now I ask that you just challenge each and every one of us in here and make sure that we are free of perceptions that keep us from sharing the gospel the way that you have called us to. Because what's more important than our self-perception is that the people who don't know you get the opportunity to hear your message and respond. So we love you, we thank you, we honor you. We lift all these things up before you. In your son Jesus' name we pray, amen.